I'm Jennifer. I'm David. I'm Alistair. Welcome to McLeod <laughs> Well, we blew it already. Welcome to McLeod Ale. Port Leaps tastes good like a beer should. You said it. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Try a frosty cold glass of Bavarian right away. What did you say? No boulder dash or baloney here. everyone and welcome to the unfiltered gentlemen no matter how you take your hooch we've got something ice cold and on tap now serving it to you straight and unfiltered here are greg scott and dan oh yeah welcome everybody it's the unfiltered gentleman or i guess today it's the unfiltered gentleman i'm rolling solo today but don't you worry dan and scott are out on assignment doing some very important craft beer research We'll get to them on the next episode, but it's okay. I am here at McLeod's Brewery in Van Nuys, California. McLeod's is the first craft brewery in all of the San Fernando Valley here in Southern California. They specialize in quote-unquote real ale, as well as making great beer the right way. I'm sitting down with the owners, Jennifer and Alistair, as well as head brewer David, to talk about McLeod's, uh, craft beer, their philosophy, and maybe even talk a little uh, kilt talk with them. Before we start, I have to mention that they have a very cool event coming up on January 25th. That's a Thursday. Yes, it's a school night. Might be worth it, though. They're going to have Scottish Day, where they're going to have some special beer releases, some very cool uh, authentic food in the house. But we'll let them talk about that in just a little bit. First, let's get to them. Let's talk about McLeod's. Thank you guys so much for joining me, joining the show, and spending a little time to talk beer with me. No problem. Thanks for coming. Yeah, well, I hear there's beer. Let's just get right into kind of the history of, of McLeod's and what everybody does. Um, everybody's role here. David, you're the head brewer. Yes. And you've been head brewing for? I've been head brewing since uh, March of 2017. All right. And how did McLeod's come about? We'll probably toss it over to Jennifer. Uh, I needed a job, and I um, decided starting a company would be fun and I went through all the list of ideas with uh, my husband Alistair and then I realized I was too chicken to do anything <laughs> by myself so I was like hey how about you if you help me and I just thought brewery would be a really fun thing to do Alistair has a lot of experience with construction and fixing machines and uh, plumbing and electric and gas and all that stuff just a handy guy yeah a handy guy all around and my girlfriends from my uh, bagpipe band had been taking me to breweries uh, on our travels we would always go to breweries and they were really into craft beer and so we just decided to do this adventure together nice so Alistair you were kind of the uh, the grunt man you got to do all the hard work um, yeah it, yeah definitely was hard uh, <laughs> it was frustrating actually really the getting through the licensing and the building and safety yeah I do a little government work and uh, that brewery opening process, whether it's the government or the ABC, good Lord, they try to make it hard on you, uh, especially out here. That's even worse. Um, all right. Before we get any further, let's talk about what everybody's drinking. Uh, Jennifer, start us off. What are you drinking over there? Oh, I am having a lovely little grasshopper. Um, this is a, a session IPA that David created as a vehicle for different hops. So mm-hmm. every time he brews it, he puts a different hop in there, oh, cool. uh, which makes it really fun. And uh, we have we had it on cask and draft, and I'm drinking the draft version. Nice. What are you drinking? I'm drinking... It's actually a beer that we made for our punters club, our mug club that we have here. Okay. Um, it's a pale ale that I did for them as kind of a part of the deal of 
that they buy into at the beginning of the year. We make a beer that only they are allowed to have. Oh, very cool. And after a certain amount of time, do you do you release it to the public, or is it just for them? Nope, it's just a small batch that's just for them. Nice, special. Uh, what what kind of flavors you got going on? Uh, so that's also, it's a more West Coast pale ale. Okay. Um, it's a 6% kind of malt forward, but with a really, really strong uh, aroma and flavor from hops. Um, this particular one was El Dorado, so it's a lot of like pineapple, mango, tropical fruit. Nice. And Alistair, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Coffee Time. Oh. It is a robust, high-octane coffee porter uh, made with uh, Jameson Brown coffee. Nice. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good good sort of kickstart beer to get me going uh, in the day. And I'm drinking it from an elegant snifter. And I might be yes. holding my pinky out. <laughs> it's only appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and and David, tell me what I'm drinking right here. Uh, you're drinking the Lucky Penny, which is a uh, very traditional English extra special bitter. Um, it's on cask, so it's uh, you know going to be kind of lighter in the carbonation. Uh, served not as cold as a draft beer would be. You're going to get a lot of like toffee, caramel, uh, and kind of a really rich, rich backbone mm-hmm. with. Uh, hint of a like a dry bitter finish yeah definitely get the toffee and the caramel for sure uh before we get any further let's let's explain and anybody can take this one let's explain to the listeners the difference between cask and a normal draft all right so uh the easiest way to explain it would be that cask ale is naturally carbonated whereas draft beer we force carbonation into the into the beer um the way that those are both accomplished would be uh the cask ale when it's done fermenting uh, and it passes my tests and I know it's ready to go, we will move it into what are called firkins, which are essentially just a, it's a keg, but it's for cask ale. Um, and we add sugar uh, into that vessel mm-hmm. with along with the beer as we fill it. And the yeast that still is alive in the beer will ferment that sugar to create the CO2 to give you the the head and your bubbles. Right. So a lot like when you're home brewing and you're dumping sugar in and then bottling. It's exactly and- like uh, bottle conditioning a beer. Uh, there's pretty much no difference. Okay. Um, except that with cask, you're only trying to target between one and a half and two volumes of CO2, so kind of low. Okay, um, so lower CO2. You want that kind of smooth mouthfeel with a cask ale. With a draft beer, you're going to, uh, at least here, we filter almost all of it into a bright tank and then um, hook it up at somewhere around 15 PSI for about 24 hours, and it gets gas forced into it right forced carbon and, and what about when you're when you're pouring it from the cask versus the co2 um when pouring cask you are the a beer engine is what you use to pull cask ale and basically how that works it's kind of like a creating a vacuum as you pull the handle it sucks the beer from the vessel mm-hmm. um into your glass um which kind of creates an agitation which releases that co2 that you it's in there to give you that really fine creamy head like you'd find on a nitro beer even. Right, but uh, it's like nitro, but without the extra creaminess and value. You know, it's yeah. not... Some nitros, the people nitro because it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. And you get that annoying nitro. <laughs> and this is this is not that at all. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So a little beer now. Let's, let's talk a little about McClouds before we go back into more beer. Um, tell me how it got started. Where, where'd you come up with the idea? Well, as I mentioned, I, I needed a job and right. I wanted to, to start something. Um, and bagpipes I, aren't lucrative? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> neither, neither is beer, apparently. Uh, no. <laughs> Alistair comes from the West Highlands of Scotland and his family is descended from Clan MacLeod. 
Uh, his mother was a McLeod and all of his relatives on her side. And I am a poor student of Dale Carnegie who suggested that if you uh, want to make people feel good, you know, name things after them. So I, that was basically it. That was the offer. Hey, uh, if you'll help me start a brewery, I'll name it after you. <laughs> <laughs> and he fell for it. And here we are. So um, that's the deal with McLeod. And um, I never know whether I should talk about this part of it or not. But I mean, it's the, it's the truth. The whole cask ale thing. Alistair and I, I spent time growing up in England as a kid. I wasn't drinking that much beer, but mm-hmm. I did drink a little beer. And Alistair um, grew up in, in Scotland, as I mentioned, and so we do have a love for the UK and British beer. However, the cask ale, why we decided to do cask ale was more a, budget, a budgetary thing. Um, we okay. got started really on a budget, and we were trying to eliminate pieces of equipment that we could live without. Um, even our original brewery, like there wasn't any actual brewery equipment um, for a couple of years we used dairy tanks and wine fermenters Wow! so um you know we were really trying to hone, shave off the budget and so we actually decided to do cask ale because we didn't need a bright tank to carbonate the beer okay so that's how we got started with that and we did that for a whole year and a half i think wow any of that old equipment still here yeah, we still brew on the original brew kettle, the original mash tun, which is essentially um, a milk, a dairy container. Um, we're not the only ones doing that. Eagle Rock is using a similar one. It's just larger. And I think they got theirs from, I want to say Alesmith, but it might have been a different brewery. Um, mm. So it's not unheard of. Um, so, yeah, we still have that original equipment. We're wow. just about to the point of starting up to talk about finding a new facility and putting oh. in a bigger brew house and bigger fermenters and, you know, kind of modernizing and sure. More production. Yeah. Okay. And do either of the two of you have any brewing experience? We decided if we're going to open up a brewery, we better learn how to brew. Right. So we did, uh, yeah, we did that ass backwards, but we, uh, we did do a little bit of home brewing, but then we, um, discovered a young guy from the East coast who, loved cask ale and was really um, trying to get his first job as a brewer with a brewery that would have would entertain the idea of having a cask ale program so we reached out to him and said hey we have even better we're going to do all cask and um out intrigued him so he came he moved out here and was our original brewer that's very cool and did you do any brewing um i i home brewed in edinburgh okay edinburgh scotland um, I went to college there, and it was at the very genesis of uh, campaign for real ale. Uh, there was a lot of interest in in brewing, home brewing, and whatnot, and uh, getting uh, the industry back to uh, more uh, traditional roots, so to speak. Um, so I, you know, I got in on that, and um, you know, there was homebrew shops, and sure. I mean, I didn't, I didn't take it very far. I mean, I, <laughs> I just wanted to do it expediently. Yeah, I, I used used. Uh, I didn't use all grain or anything like that. No, it's too much work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but I got I got accolades from my mates. I mean, it was it was beer and it was uh, well, Had theore- alcohol theoretically in it. it was was, was inexpensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but so yeah, I dabbled. You dabbled. Okay, that's fair. Do you have anything to do with the uh, is it the whiskey or the scotch that's coming from over there? Um, I. Unfortunately, we're not allowed uh, <laughs> uh, to, to... Whiskey cannot be anywhere near this facility, unfortunately. Oh, really? Um, 
So, um, yeah, we're very, very strict about that because you can get in a lot of trouble. Um, so no whiskey I, I, barrels or anything? Um, we can use whiskey barrels. We just can't have actual whiskey on yeah. site. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Scotch whiskey, and people tend to buy me Scotch whiskey um, <laughs> for presents. So I've got quite a collection at home, and we go all wrong. go, you know, I take everyone over there, and we have whiskey nights and stuff. But, but yeah, we, we don't do that here. I mean, it's, it's the idea of having a distillery is romantic for a Scotsman. Sure. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, the second brew was, was a distiller. Okay. Josiah Blomquist, and we, you know, we toyed with the idea of him giving him a distillery. So he could play, uh, but you know, um, it's it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I'd imagine. Distillery. Yeah. yeah. Um, which supports which habit, the music or the beer, or does the beer support the music? Oh, that's an interesting question because that was another reason why the brew, we thought the brew would be a good idea. Because um, so ten years ago, I started a pipe band called the Pasadena Scots and. We were woefully short on money every year. And we'd have a meeting every year. How are we going to raise more money? And a competing pipe band has a wonderful sponsorship by, um, honey, who sponsors them? Um, uh, the Irish yeah. Whiskey Company. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's a big one. We'll think of it later. But anyway, they had a big <laughs> alcohol sponsor. And there's a couple breweries, actually. I mean, pipe bands that are sponsored by breweries. There's a pipe band in San Diego that is sponsored by Ballast Point, et cetera. So it's not unheard of. So sure. we kept thinking, like, we need a sponsor. But we were in Pasadena, and the only brewery there was Craftsman. And there's no way Craftsman <laughs> was going to sponsor a pipe band. We need so, Bushmills. Bushmills, that's who it there is. We go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely a. Uh, Part of my thinking was like, oh, if I started a brewery, I could kill so many birds with one stone. Right. I could have a job. I could <laughs> drink on the job. Have a sponsor for the pipe band. Um, you know, all that, those things. So that, that that actually was part of the <laughs> part of the thinking early on. Nice. Um, we have been able to sponsor them a little bit, not as much as I would like to in the future. But we've um, we they put on um they technically put on our uh anniversary party every year okay we have to do that through a nonprofit, so they're the nonprofit beneficiary for our anniversary every year that's in so june get, right yeah in okay. june on father's day so they get money from that and we've been able to help them with little things like purchasing a tent and uh bass drum heads and things like that Very so cool. a, l- a little bit so the habits support the habits yeah yeah nice yeah. uh david let's let's talk a little about your background how'd you get into brewing um, pretty randomly, um, my best friend and I just got really into going around and trying craft beer. Um, I'm from Pasadena originally as well. Okay. Um, and we would frequent the Lucky Baldwin's locations all over, uh, Pasadena and Sierra Madre. One day decided, hey, let's drive down to San Diego and go to a bunch of breweries for a weekend. And at the it's end of our three-day excursion of way too many breweries in three days, <laughs> we, uh, decided to stop at the Ballast Point homebrew shop on our way home and pick up a bunch of equipment and that night until two in the morning we made our first oh, batch of beer <laughs> um, well, did you know it'd take like six hours your first time <laughs> yeah well, it was not fun yeah <laughs> so much cleaning so that was kind of the start then we did one more batch on his apartment stove mm-hmm. extract and then i moved to arizona and when i did that i just invested in a whole lot of all grain equipment and just started brewing by myself in my apartment pretty much drank most of it either myself or gave it to my coworkers at the car dealership I was working at at sure. the time. I just, I fell in love with doing it just for myself. And eventually 
I moved back to California, um, and a friend of mine that's now, he's one of our founders, actually, uh, Michael Haley, introduced me to this place, and I fell in love with it. I had never even been into any beer besides, like, hoppy stuff, pretty much, and stouts, and they kind of changed my whole thought process on what beer could be um, with what Andy Black was doing when he was here, and I started making a ton of British-style beers at home, and then they uh, needed help so I started volunteering and that's kind of how it grew into this but it was quite a short progression I only started homebrewing about five and a half years ago so wow that's pretty good yeah and we were talking a little bit earlier that you started and you just mentioned just now that you started volunteering and it kind of led to a job that led to a job how'd that progression go it started with him uh, Alistair put out a request on Facebook for volunteers because they had acquired this side of the building that we're sitting in right now. Okay. Um, and it was just basically scraping paint off the floors <laughs> and a whole lot of really random stuff he had us all doing. And while we were sitting down to lunch, we started talking, and I let him. I just started telling him, like, hey, I have a background in construction. My dad's a general contractor. I've been doing this stuff my whole life. Like, if there's more that doesn't get done today, like, feel free to call me. Sure. And I'll come in and help. And sure enough, he took me up on that, and I started coming in three or four days a week and... <laughs> doing odd job work did that for as we discovered about a half hour ago uh for about a year <laughs> february of 2016 jennifer offered me a job uh just a few days a week keg washing and a single bar shift i took that and ran with it um did that until the end of june of last year and then i um the head brewer josiah at the time Finally started letting me uh, help out a little bit more in the brew house by filling kegs, doing a, like just kind of assisting the other assistant brewer. Mm-hmm. And then I guess just throughout time, he uh, really liked the way I did things and started teaching me a little bit more and le- letting me do a little bit more. And then by October of last year, I was doing all of the brewing. Nice. And when he decided to move on, they uh, in March of this year, they offered me the position and I was very... St- honest with them about my lack of experience and a lot of things I wasn't too sure of. We said, we know, don't worry, we know. <laughs> um, and uh, I ran with it, and we're still here today. I think we're doing pretty well. We've made a lot of changes in the last year that mm-hmm. I think have been for the better, and that's pretty much how it has progressed. And the beer's good, so... <laughs> David is killing it. David, you have no idea how many customers come up to me all the time just to tell me how much you're killing it and how... <laughs> awesome they think you are so you have the confidence of the community behind you <laughs> yeah there's a guy called Stephen lucy he was in here last night the bar 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 manager ray's father and he was just he was beside himself about how good the beer was he was used to drinking uh he's an irishman so guinness, he's uh, i suppose yeah he's used to drinking uh mostly uh guinness and beamish but yeah, his name's Michael, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so we're being told, we're being handed a note right now. <laughs> his name is Michael. Uh, very cool. Well, speaking of beer, why don't you move us into our next beer? What do we have here? All right. So the next one is actually a relatively uh, new beer. It's something that I developed earlier this year. It is a London lager. It's uh, loosely based off of a recipe from Barclay Perkins Brewing out of London from the 1930s. Okay. At the time... Uh, you know, lager was finally starting to kind of take over London and, and the, the British Isles um, as the dominant type of beer. And so being the biggest brewery in England at the time, they decided they wanted a piece of that market and to try to compete. Uh, so they developed a beer using all British malt, but they were using uh, Czech hops to make a very 
similar uh, continental European lager. Okay. But their goal was to make it slightly stronger so they could call it a premium um, and sell it for <laughs> a little more money. So ABV equals premium? Apparently ABV. to the British at the time. Okay. That's how they felt about it. Okay. Uh, for me, I just decided to make it a little bit more British. So it's uh, 100% British in malts as well as hops. Talk us through the flavor a little bit. I get I get some some citrus in here for sure. Uh, yeah, I, as far as I can tell, the citrus notes come from the uh, use of East Kent Golding as uh, the main hop. Okay. Other than that, it's just a very simple. I use Baird's uh, Heritage Series eighteen twenty three London Lager Malt. It's actually kind of how we got into the idea of making this beer. Jennifer saw the name of the barley I was using and was like, is that a style of beer? <laughs> <laughs> and I was not sure. And I did a lot of research and uh, came across some old ring records. Um, it's a very, very simple recipe, uh, basically one malt, one hop. And so you get a really good malty backbone due to that British mm-hmm. base malt. And then it's lagered, at least this batch was lagered exactly the way a German would do it, about uh, six weeks uh, at about 55 degrees Okay. before filtering. And What's the ABV on it? Usually between 5.3 and 5.4, okay. somewhere in that range. So very sessionable. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. light, so I can mm-hmm. drink this all day on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. I got to ask, and Jennifer, Alistair, either one of you can take this one out, but why Van Nuys? I'll take that. <laughs> um, Van Nuys, um, yes, it's not a glamorous neighborhood of Los Angeles, but um, when I first immigrated to this great land of opportunity uh, 30 years ago, I lived in Valley Glen, okay, which um, wasn't called Valley Glen at the time. It was Van Nuys. Um, and then uh, I lived there for a long time. And then uh, between marriages, I moved to uh, Lake Balboa, which also is Van Nuys. And uh, then I met Jenny, and I moved to Sherman Oaks, which is in right there south of... We're on the Sherman Oaks side of Van Nuys. Right. It's not, you know, it's not the worst part of Van Nuys we're in. Right. <laughs> and, it um, gets worse. And we love Van Nuys, don't get me wrong. We've, we've learned to love it, and we've learned to, to, uh, all about the, the great things about Van Nuys and the, and the cool people that live here. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I, I, I operated my landscape business in Van Nuys. I did all my shopping, my, my Home Depot's in Van Nuys, you know, my <laughs> et cetera. I just, I love Van Nuys. Um, I, I know all the good things about Van Nuys, like, uh, you know, uh, Charlio's Jazz Club, which unfortunately is gone now, and um, the Spalvita Basin, the Wildlife mm. Reserve, the Japanese Garden, Anheuser Busch, mm. Van Nuys, California. Sorry, I was always endeared by the smell of hops when I was driving around as a contractor long before I got in the industry. Yeah, and rice. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, Van, Van Nuys has, has a lot going for it, and uh, we're gentrifying it. It's true. It wasn't our plan, but, you know, we just, we happen to be, we have transportation that comes through here now. We have the the Orange Line, and we have talk of the light rail on right. Van Nuys Boulevard, et cetera. So, yeah, um, I forgot what the question was, but, yeah, Van Nuys. <laughs> Why Van Nuys was the question, yeah. but, uh, yeah. But actually, in reality, we just, we found a building in Van Nuys where the landlord yeah, was, was um, he was very receptive to the idea. Of, he was suspicious, but yet he liked us. Okay. And we, we took him to uh, Eagle Rock Brewing Okay, and uh, showed him what the craft in- industry was about. So we went in there and we said, let's get some beers and we'll discuss, you know. Well, actually, we went there to sign the, the lease documents. 
And I said, what will you have, Bob? What, you, what are you drinking? He says, I'll have a Stella. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, sure, Bob. And we got him the closest thing. Yeah. No, but really, what do you want to drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wanted tenants. He, when we met him, he said, you know, tell me your business idea because I'll just tell you I want tenants in here that I can brag to my friends about. So we were said, well, we have an idea for you. You're right. going to love it. Um, we had actually looked everywhere from, you know, I was willing to go to, from the 405 to Pasadena to downtown, anywhere in okay. that triangle. And uh, brewer- breweries have to be in a specific zoned building, right. so that narrows it down. And, you know, just to find a building that's the right size, the right price, et cetera, et cetera, is quite difficult. So... And we actually found a couple other buildings that we even put applications in on, but this one just worked out. And um, when uh, before we made beer, we made T-shirts. And our designer was in Denver. No, yeah, Colorado. He lives in Colorado, our original logo designer. And he designed some T-shirts for us that he put uh, Van Eyes on the sleeve. And I saw that design. I said, oh, oh, my goodness. We'll have to tell him that should say Los Angeles. You know, we got to get that off there ASAP. Yeah, Van Eyes is not a city. It's just a neighborhood. Just, I, we were going to keep it a secret, I guess, that we were in Van Nuys. But we we decided, like, hey, let's run with that, you know. And now we have customers that won't even buy a shirt if it doesn't say Van Nuys on it. Really? We even have a shirt that's mostly says Van Nuys, and it's in the background, Nuys. yeah. So there's a lot of pride here. There's a lot of um, people who are very excited that we've brought something really cool to their humble uh, town. It's not yeah. really town, but. Well, you brought something Area. cool to the neighborhood, especially. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you roll down the street, it's kind of like car body shops and mm-hmm. auto shops and that kind of stuff. Then you get here and it's like, oh, all right, I guess it's a brewery. And you walk in and, and inside, you feel like you're in a different world than when you're outside. It's very nice and welcoming and, and not like the you know car shops across the, we- the, across the street. Yeah. Um, what was what was the idea for like the theming and, and, and the de- decor and all that? Well, stuff? first of all, I just want to say that I like to think of it as either the TARDIS or the wardrobe in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> you walk through, you walk and through. it's something completely different inside. Um, the theme was that I have this personal theory; it's probably wrong that people like to come. Like, why would you go to a brewery when you could go to a craft beer bar and have a very wide array of beers? Why would you go to a brewery and narrow it down to just the ones that brewery makes? And I think that part of us, part of people, it's fun to go to where it's made, to the source. You can kind of pretend that you work there. You know, what would it be like to work here and make the beer? I don't know. So I kind of wanted to do a pared-down decor i didn't want it to be too comfortable i wanted it to be like furniture you would have if you were working here you know and um so we went with very basic furniture tried and true um lab stools from that we all remember from high school or elementary auto shop yeah yeah we just you know painted the cinder block and uh, we did incorporate some wood but it's it's not fancy I think people like it because they don't feel like they can hurt anything. There's nothing too, <laughs> too uh, twee, as they say in in the UK. It's um, you can come and be yourself and relax. P- people love that we have peanuts and you could throw the shells on the floor and it's just a very relaxed environment. You can bring bring your dog. You can bring your kids. No one's gonna hurt anything. Um, so people feel comfortable here. Yeah, if you miss playing darts, no big deal. 
yeah, just a cinder just block like, wall. Yeah, if you hit hit the wall and yeah. expose the white paint underneath, no big deal. <laughs> Are there? Would you say there's any advantages being in Van Nuys over, uh, you know, a beer destination like San Diego? Is it nice kind of being on your own, or is it like I um, wish I had neighbors that? I wouldn't necessarily say that there's initially a benefit. Um, I think that we have managed to build ourselves into a good spot mm-hmm. by being in a different area. Um, we don't have to, you know, we don't have people coming in here expecting us to be something that we're not. Um, you know, we don't, we're not surrounded by breweries, so we aren't required to like follow a mold of what everybody else does. Uh, you know, you go to San Diego at the end of the day, every brewery that's next to each other is going to have five to seven IPAs. Oh yeah. Especially um, in San Diego. I mean, even if you go to downtown LA, they, they're all competing in that market. And I love the fact that we're in an area where we're not, we know we're not going to take those customers. We're right. not even going to bother to try. Has not, it's not our interest. Um, you know, we've, we've managed to build something off of uh, the concept of doing beer the way that we feel that we're happy with and that we are accomplishing something that we want mm-hmm. um, while also being different and unique. And I think that that's been what benefited us in this area. You know, if people are here, they're showing up for you. They're not just showing up to get drunk at another brewery or bar or whatever. That's kind of nice. I mean, they're here for your product. Exactly. You know, we don't have the competition, but at the same time, we're not trying to be part of that competition or that fight to be the best of one specific thing. We just want to do something that people enjoy and that we're happy about. Sure. And I know, you know, I've, I've interviewed other brewers who are right around a bunch of different other people. Um, the one advantage to being around other people is you get to do collaborations or like, Hey, I ran out of some grain. Can I borrow some, whatever? Like, do you find yourself struggling because you're not around anybody or is it is not it by any means? Um, we're still close enough. Yeah. Uh, I have a very good relationship with a lot of breweries around, um, like specifically Ennegrin brewing up in Moore park. I have a wonderful Love relationship Ennegrin, with yeah. them. Um, so, you know, I can get things if I need them. Sure. Um, I don't really have that problem. So, uh, I don't know how much that <laughs> affects us. Yeah. I guess what, what people don't realize who aren't from L.A. is even though it might be like 17 miles, that's like a good four and a half hours. <laughs> so it's not like, hey, I'm just going to run next door. <laughs> I like to say we thrive on low expectations here. At <laughs> Honestly, nobody coming to Van Nuys is expecting an amazing brewery. And I love knocking their socks off because I'm very proud of the quality that we've achieved here. And I think we are running head to head with any of the other great breweries in LA. And, um, it's fun watching people have that experience of, um, like, wow, who would think that (laughs) you could get great crack, uh, cask ale. It's very legit, you know, Mm -hmm. um, very great cask ale in the middle of Van Nuys. It's so unlikely. And that kind of makes it extra fun. Right. And uh, your new slogan is under promise over deliver. <laughs> there you go. We've been looking for one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Get the t-shirts also, printed. Like back to like what you were saying about like the whole like making maybe more difficult to do collaborations, but we get to kind of, I mean, we just did one with a guy from London, you know, so we're doing things. I mean, that doesn't really, I don't think have anything to do with where you are. If a brewery wants to work with you and likes what you do and you want to work with somebody, you can make it happen. Yeah. So makes sense. Um, you mentioned earlier Real Ale, and I saw over the website Campaign for Real Ale. What is the Campaign for Real Ale? Um, in around in the 70s, uh, a group of um, beer lovers who were disappointed with where the industry had gone um, because uh, 
Yeah, small small independent breweries that did traditional uh, naturally carbonated beer, real ale, mm-hmm. um, were were far and few between, and it, it, it was it was a product that was lost, an art that was uh, lost. So they really tried to um, rehabilitate uh, and get get the industry back to um, its roots. And actually, they you know recently they have proclaimed that they have accomplished what they set out to do, and 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 they no longer really. Um, do very much because uh, the UK is absolutely f- saturated with with wonderful little little breweries that uh, do real ale. We don't use the term real ale that often because because of where we are. We don't want to insult anybody, <laughs> you know. Um, imply that other beer is not real. Sure, <laughs> but we yeah we we talk about cask ale cause mm-hmm. it comes from the cask. Uh, we talk about naturally carbonated beer, but um, yeah so. So that that was the organization, and you know, I I went down to Leith, uh, a dock neighborhood in Edinburgh, and went to a particular bar that had an amazing example of uh, traditional naturally carbonated beer, and it's very smooth and very easy to drink compared to you know the because they used to drink a lot of lager in the seventies, sure. and it was kind kind of fizzy and kind of cold and 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 tongue stinging <laughs> and we don't really like that that much here i mean we have something for everybody here oh absolutely uh because uh, a lot of people expect cold 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 beer mm-hmm. so we do it and um but yeah we have uh at least half of our beer is um much less cold and more gentle on the carbonation and goes down smooth and easy well and it's always a sign of good beer when you can drink it at not you know thirty six degrees when you can drink it at forty five sixty degrees like that means you have a good tasting beer you can't drink big beer at a <laughs> at a warmer temperature because you'll actually taste what it mm-hmm. tastes like and, and so it's it's kind of a nice thing and, and you're doing a good thing with a cask ale I mean, I mean it'd be real ballsy to have a cask that that wasn't very good because it would be served a little warmer and, and you wouldn't get the or you unfortunately would get the flavors. Speaking of cask, you took over. We mentioned this earlier. You took over. You're not the original head brewer. What is that like stepping into those shoes? Is it weird? Like, I don't get to develop my own recipes? Or is it awesome because I don't have to develop my own recipes right um, away? I mean, actually, the thing about that is I did develop a lot of recipes almost right off the bat. We had a lot of good things, but we were trying to really figure out what what we were and what we were trying to accomplish. Like, that had kind of gotten lost in translation between the two other brewers. Uh, you know, the first guy wanted nothing to do with anything that wasn't super cask and super <laughs> British in every possible means of tradition. Okay. Then we had a guy that came in that felt like that mentality kind of needed to stick around for some reason, but he also wanted to add in the idea of draft and more American styles, but still tried to blend the two. And then I, my whole theory was, at the end of the day, make a quality product yeah. and just focus on... Things that I, as a brewer, enjoy, the owners enjoy, and that our customers appreciate. Um, And not try to limit ourselves to any one area due to whatever image we might have at the time. Sure. Um, So, you know, it was was nice. I mean, it was great to have some really good backbone beers that I could rely on, that I knew were going to be sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a great canvas uh, to work with to build new things, so... Nice. I'd like to add something to that if Please. I could. So, you know, as the owner, I I kind of pride myself on um, 
you know, hiring these great brewers who I really look on as artists and I don't like to interfere with what they're doing. I feel like they're the artists and I want them to be invested in the, in the brewery and in the process and feel like they have some creative input. So I, I basically just trust that they're on board with what we've created here and they're going to create beers that fit in with what we're doing at McLeod and not go off the reservation and do something <laughs> completely crazy. Um, There's five West coast IPAs for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I think that each brewer has held on to the best of the prior brewer. You know, there are some beers that each brewer has developed that are still on board. Sure. And um, that is because customers have proven that they really love them. We really love them. Um, but other ones have fallen by the wayside and been replaced by some new favorites. And so it, I think that that is a process that we should always be focused on, you know, like culling the herd a little bit, focusing on the ones that we really, really love. And it's also been an opportunity um, to to discover things. Like, for example, our, Josiah, I think wanted to branch into lagers more. Now, that's not really a British style. I think he kind of maybe just got bored or I don't know what his <laughs> I don't know what his motivation was, but he he wanted to start doing some lagers and it turns out like that they're really really popular here. Sure. As much as everyone says they love us cuz we're a British brewery, whenever we have a lager on, it's in the number 1 or number 2 spot. So that you know, so that was a happy accident that we found that out. So that's given us permission to focus a little bit more on loggers, and uh, we try to connect it back to the UK in some way if we can. Um, but we're not super dogmatic about it. And just remember that I said that in the beginning, our cask ale program was really based on the equipment. It wasn't really all about like we were determined to do absolutely 100% classic British styles. Right, so you're not, you're not hardcore cask. You just didn't have the funds well, right away. We were trying to make our mentor, um, Tom Mr. Hennessy. Yeah, Tom, Tom Hennessy. We were trying to make him proud, and he, he had a fantasy of persuading somebody to do cask ale, a cask brewery. Uh, and none of his students would ever take him up on the offer. They didn't believe in it. They, did, they hmm. didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't, they were put off by the inefficiencies of cask, no. or whatever reason it was. Yeah, and um, so we wanted to. We we loved Tom, and um, he had Scottish heritage. He played small small pipes, <laughs> and he um, we wanted to to fulfill his little fantasy. So we did it. Uh, that was partly the reason, as well as the equi- uh, the equipment cost issue. What's what's like a big? Di- if somebody asks you, you know, come up like, oh, cask ale or, or real ale. What's the big difference between? Uh, American and British beer? Uh, the biggest difference, typically, like, would be malt and balance. Um, you know, at the end of the day, British malt provides a much better character and flavor, and it's richer. You know, I think that that alone is what, like, the kind of the biggest thing that separates it, along with just mm-hmm. a concept of, uh, Americans like things that are big and in their face, or they like things that are so light that they taste like nothing, like water. Right. <laughs> um, you know, there's not a whole lot of middle ground. With it's always one way or the other. Uh, I think with British beer, it's a lot more about balance and um, understanding how to use ingredients and how to accomplish something where you can taste the malt, and that's like the the main star of the show. But you still notice that there's hops in there, and you can tell the water what the water profile is like, and mm-hmm. you can really get a lot 
of what's going on. Um, and I feel like with American beer for a big chunk of time, it was it's either especially during the craft beer boom, you either went one way of like a beer that was so light and easy to drink that nobody would complain, right. or it's just so in your face with hops that it's almost overpowering. Gonna kick you in the teeth. Um, mind you, I mean, I fell in love with that that era of beer. Like, I love what Stone was doing 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. There's enough of that, and the British thing is a lot more unique for the States. So. Absolutely. And, and it's nice to have something different, you know, yeah. the cask ale, the British ale, and, and the balance. Um, speaking of which, what do we have so, here? So, uh, this last one we're going to try, or maybe last one. <laughs> uh, this is our Session Gap. It is one of the flagship beers that we've had since day one with the original brewer. Um, it is a very classic, ordinary bitter. Mm-hmm. With this, you know, it's 3.8%. You're relying solely on malt for flavor. The hop in there is only to balance out the sweetness and keep it dry. I don't even really know how to explain it. It's like kind of bready, <laughs> a little toasty, um, and just just a really balanced, enjoyable yeah. beer. A hint of caramel, maybe? Yeah, maybe a hint. Yeah. <laughs> what you say? What was it called? It's, uh, it's called... The session gap. It is. Uh, it's an, a traditional, ordinary bitter. Yeah, it's really good. Once again, really easy to drink. Like there's, there's no problem. Put down a few of those. All of our beers are named after bagpipe tunes. Mostly. Okay. Mostly. Mostly. Well, a couple of rare, <laughs> couple of exceptions. Like Punter Pale is and, not a bagpipe. Uh, and tune. London Lager. Yes, London Lager is not a bagpipe tune. <laughs> so but mo- ninety-eight percent of them are named after bagpipe what about tunes. Our new ice beer. Oh, so, <laughs> nobody needs to know about that yet. <laughs> the session gap was actually a tune written by a bagpiper friend of mine, and he um, he was in a pub in Scotland, and there was a band playing, and they were on their break, and he got out his bagpipes and kind of just ad libbed a tune. Oh. liked it, wrote it down later, called it the session gap because it was between sessions, and we figured. We try to name them things that somewhat point to what the beer is. Sure. Like, obviously, this is a session beer, so it's Session Gap is a good beer. We have Coffee Time is our coffee porter. Grasshopper, because um, the hops are always changing uh-huh. and jumping. I like that. Yeah, things like that. So, Question for both of you two. What's it like working with your spouse? Um, it's all right, because she, <laughs> she leaves me alone. <laughs> She lets me drink. walking away. She, <laughs> she lets me drink. She lets me drink beer. She, I'm, there's no limit on how much I can drink. I put my beers on the owner's tab, and uh, nobody ever says the owner's tab's kind of high this week. <laughs> so, uh, and if they do, I would just say, "Wow, you know, I was entertaining guests." Right. I never get sick of this guy. I totally... Alistair's my second husband. I totally adore him, 100% in and out. And I don't ever feel like, oh, you know, I'm over you or, geez, I need time away or anything. Um, we And I think we make a really good team because our... Uh, different skills really complement each other. And I, yeah. I really do think it's an example of two people making something bigger than either of us could definitely do on our own um and i personally enjoy it i mean every everybody has little things now and then but i think i think ours are few and far between especially how much time we spend with each other right yeah um the uh what was i gonna say uh yeah i think you were gonna say she's right 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's right. She doesn't lie. Um, basically, we have uh, we come with each other insofar as um, on a less personal level, but more to do with the the uh, the workday is. Um, Jennifer's very computer and savvy and promotions and mm-hmm. uh, campaigns and to advertise email blasts and uh, graph, computer graphics and design T-shirts. She's very much the idea girl in the company. Okay. And, um, but I feel like I can implement her ideas. I just, you know, I, I, I take her idea and I make it, bring it to fruition just through... Um, just really what I learned in the landscape industry as a landscape designer, because um, obviously landscape industry in L.A., the gardens are very luxurious. You have, you know, water features and, f- you know, outdoor fire elements going on sure. and, and covered patios and seating and entertaining <laughs> and barbecues. And there's a lot of outdoor living and there's a lot of uh, entertainment. And we really, really were entertaining here in, yeah. in, in, in the same way. And it's just a question of making people feel comfortable and be in a cool environment and look around. And I, I actually spend a lot of time arranging the furniture in here. Really? For, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it seems a very mundane job, but no one else seems to know exactly where to put the, you know, the bourbon barrels and the long <laughs> tables and the skinny tables and the round tables, the high tops, the low tops. I mean, they can't even get, get the stool height right. We've got three heights of stools. They put the like, <laughs> tall stool on the medium table and the low stool. On the <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And then the flowers weren't me, by the way. I mean, I, lo- I love Martha, Martha Stewart, but, right. but that was actually a birthday party last night. Oh, okay. Fair enough. No, yeah. but, you know, that's a good point, Alistair. Like, I, I take that for granted, but it's true. Often I'll just say, honey, what would you think of, you know, fill in the blank? And next thing I know, it's done. And it's really awesome. Like, who wouldn't want that? It's a dream come true. What would you say if we painted this wall black and the next day it's black? You just walk in, there it is. Yeah. That's awesome. One thing, I got my way on the color of the uh, darts scoreboards. Oh. It was either green or black. (laughs) She wanted green and I thought black. (laughs) I'm able to compromise. And then I called her up one day and I said, Jenny, David and I have decided... (laughs) <laughs> let's the decision be yours you pick the color <laughs> and she says oh I already, already ordered black <laughs> so I, I inadvertently got my way it's <laughs> so. perfect is there anything that you would have done differently when starting the place I, I really don't regret anything honestly um, I guess the alternative would have been to have a really a lot of money and just put in a turnkey system and uh, have everything up to beer spec right away and I don't know but I think that every little thing that we've gone through we've learned a lot from it and I'm happy with the way it is and I'm happy with the way it's progressing and so I personally wouldn't do anything different yeah um, a lot of breweries are a little bit too nice for me (laughs) Um, you know you just if you if you build something like uh, that's gorgeous uh, because there's a lot of money behind it um you know, you, you people end up hating you. You know, they're jealous and they hate you. Not everybody, but you know, there's certain people like sure. They just they resent the fact that you have such nice things, and we just make do with with ordinary things. You know, like we just uh, we have our we put our trousers trousers on one leg at a time. You know, <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, we just uh, people are kind of endeared by the the shabby kind of uh, Van Nuys mundane. Very handmade elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't look up in this brewery because yeah. that, that that white <laughs> that white vinyl is very wrinkly, and the lights are you know clip on. 
nine dollar. Hey, pictures. but they haven't fallen. They're still there. <laughs> They're still there. Yeah. What was the biggest barrier to opening a brewery? Um, money and uh, the Los Angeles Department of Building and Safety. <laughs> and the city zoning, the planning. Yeah, yeah. the planning department. They're yeah, not not brutal. necessarily building and safety. Well, the building yeah, the safety was department. horrible because our plan checker, he was like, he was evil. Yeah. I mean, I think he was Welcome new. I think he got his job through cronyism. I think he, he, he wasn't qualified. I think he got his job because he knew somebody. And he just was terrible. He, he told us we had to do things that was, were completely oh, wrong. Yeah. Like he had us put in uh, the, the drains, uh, the four-inch underground drain to take away all the, you know, the washings and spilt beer and stuff. And uh, he said it's got to be cast iron. What? Cast iron, he said. Cast says. iron. <laughs> And then you know, somebody said to me, in New York, you can't do cast iron. It's got to be plastic. And I'm thinking, well, wh- you know, what's the difference? Right. New York, L.A., you know. Then the inspectors come in and they're like, what would you do cast iron for? Oh, jeez. This should be PVC. It's just terrible. It's, uh, they said you wasted your money. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, it leaks. That's the problem. We had a, a nightmare trying to, when we got it inspected, they come down, they look down at each. It's a rubber coupling to join the two pieces of every piece of uh, cast iron pipe. It's okay. a no hub. Uh, cast iron and you have to tighten each one up with a screwdriver and whatnot but they they leak and um and he looks down there and he sees this like this this wet area on the dry dirt and um yeah so that was that was it would have been so much easier just to put the abs glue and yeah. glue it and call it good it wouldn't leak and yeah. it lasts longer yeah too <laughs> but i got to give credit to the build the build the building inspector the overall guy mm-hmm. um who's responsible for giving us the the certificate of occupancy. He walked in and he looked at the drain and he looked at the rebar and before we poured the concrete. And he looked around very casually and he was actually very focused. He says, "Could I get?" Because we had the menu board up. And he says, "Could uh-huh. I? Could I get one of those for my my Fourth of July party? Could <laughs> I impress my neighbors? Could I? Could I buy a keg from you?" And that was his focus. But he walked in, he looked around, and he was just pretending like he was just blasé. And he, he had the eye for is there anything red flags jumping sure. out? But in, in, in the final analysis, he just says, take a broom and sweep off that rebar. That rebar is dusty. Sweep that before you pour the concrete. And that was it. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> we can I that. mean, it's, it's personalities, you know. Some yeah. of them are, are really uh, just normal, kind, positive people. And others are just have a frame of mind and wanting to stop you doing your, your creative thing. What a pain. Let's turn around to something nice and friendly and positive. January 25th. You have a bit of an event coming up. Tell us about that event. Um, yes, Scotland has its um, most important holiday is on the 25th of January, and it's to cel- celebrate our poet laureate, Robert Burns, who was born in 1759. <laughs> and um, he wrote a bunch of amazing uh, poetry, songs and, and poems. Um, he, he took ancient melodies and he set new lyrics to them and He's responsible for uh, developing Old Lang Syne. Oh. And um, My Love is Like a Red Red my Rose. My Love is Like a Red Red Rose, Coming Through the Rye. Um, he's uh, famous for the expression, uh, The Best Laid Schemes of Men and Mice, Aft ga- Go Agli, and, and stuff like that. So um, he's a very important, important poet, very well respected. Um, he was a plowman. And anyway, he wrote a wonderful poem about Scotland's national dish, the haggis. Nice. He glorified this peasant food, which was made from uh, awful and undesirable <laughs> parts of a sheep. So um, that's our national dish. Not and actually, awful, but awful. There's a difference. <laughs> O-F-F-A-L. 
right. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're doing um, we're doing the supper. We're doing it is a supper that where you eat this dish that the haggis, mashed potatoes and um, mashed turnips, and we're gonna have bagpipes. We're gonna have. Um, yeah, a little bit of ceremony and uh, the the procession for the ceremonial haggis and stuff like that. Ceremonial haggis? Yeah. It's carried on a silver platter. <laughs> While he uh, recites a poem yeah. about the haggis. <laughs> but I, I would encourage anybody who's fascinated with what I'm saying, I'd encourage them to, to come. It's on uh, Thursday, the 25th of January. Um, we're going to have a, um, a Celtic music session. Uh, which are going to play from 7 to 10. And it'll be amazing. It'll be lovely. It'll be bagpipes. Just a small amount of bagpipes. Not enough to ruin the, the night. Just the right amount. <laughs> yeah. The right yeah. amount of yeah. bagpipes. Yeah. Yeah. Will you and be playing, Jen? I probably will. And I just want to say that after we were open for about three years, I realized, I had this epiphany, that cask ale and bagpipes are practically the same thing. <laughs> because... They both get a bad reputation when people have been exposed to bad versions of those two things, but played well and made well, they're sublime. That's very true. So true. Uh, And and will this be on the website? Yes. Get more information? Um, tickets or just show up? We used to do a no ticketed tickets. event, but no now tickets. we just come one, come all, come in on, your kilt. Yeah, if it, if it fell on the <laughs> if it fell on the weekend, we'd we'd go big. But we're doing it on a, on a school night, and uh, so yeah, uh, no problem. And uh, yeah, details to to follow. Um, before we wrap things up, David has brought us something fantastic smelling. <laughs> Please talk. Um, <laughs> so I brought out a special release we're doing. It's a very limited beer that we did. It's a barley wine that was aged for seven months in fresh Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels. Oh, um, yep. <laughs> smells amazing. Uh, it's a very complex beer. Uh, it honestly tastes more like a fortified wine or a brandy than a beer at this point. It's, yeah, that's a lot of brandy characteristics yeah, in there. Uh, so kind of sticking with like where it was, I very lightly carbonated it. I didn't go over the top at all. We only had about four and a half to five barrels of packageable product so very very limited run wow and you say a packageable product did you have way more uh, product? Know, there, and there was just uh there's always as much as we all try to be as efficient as possible there is some waste and some loss um it's an unfiltered beer that was aged in bourbon barrels mm-hmm. you end up with yeast and chunks of oak and things that just that obviously won't go into a bottle or a keg very easily so <laughs> yeah. this is amazing and this is, I mean, you put it in the right glass, a nice little fancy sniffer. Um, good Lord, I could sip on that for a while. <laughs> that is really good. Yeah, it is a, it's a 9%, uh, very, very traditional uh, classic English barley wine, all British ingredients. Nice. So This is our unfiltered gentleman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Cheers to that. Um, before we get out of here, I have a couple of listener questions, and I'm going to hit everybody with some real quick rapid-fire questions. Um, first, Chris wants to know, which McLeod beer should I have with my steak dinner? Oh, uh, with the steak. I mean, that's kind of subjective. Depends on what you want to enjoy with it. Um, I personally would probably, yeah, like probably our brown ale, our cutting bracken. Um, so good. Either something along those lines or our pale ale, the uh, better days. Uh, those would probably be the two things that I would lean towards for, with that. And Eric wants to know, why no hazy IPAs? <laughs> uh, oh, I love this question. Uh, because you see, there's been uh, about a thousand years of development on beer, 
trying to make it as clear and perfect as possible. I don't understand going back <laughs> on that. <laughs> I love asking brewers about this. This is my favorite. Well, we talk about this at about every other staff meeting. We have weekly staff meetings and you know, being in this environment, seeing all our neighbors doing that kind of beer, we're always sort of asking, like, should we be doing that? What is up with that? And David's made such a good point over and over again. You know, if it's just a matter of having an unfiltered beer, we're all for that. Sure. That's fine. But actually doing something to the beer artificially to make it hazy makes absolutely no sense to us. And no matter how much money we're giving up, we're not going to do it, damn it. And the, <laughs> There's one other thing about it, too, though. The other side of it is that the number one thing that seems to be the draw to Hazy IPA is the uh, the flavor and the fruity character and all that that you can get from it. The fact is if you took that same beer and filtered it, it would taste almost identical, if not mm-hmm. exactly the same or better. And and I've had a few where it's weird. You get, like, the chunks in your mouth. And yeah. I didn't ask for orange juice. So well, we are going to put a DIY Hazy IPA kit up on the bar. Oh. It will be a carton of orange juice nice. and some ice. And if you want to <laughs> add some to your beer... Awesome. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> All right, so super quick, I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions, and uh, we'll go down the line. <clears throat> Just the first thing that comes to mind when I, when I say it. So we'll start here. First beer you ever drank? It was, uh, I think it was an Austrian beer. Uh, we were traving in Austria. I was like 10. <laughs> I, like I just remember, I don't remember what it was, but I, I had it with sausage and mustard. Nice. It was awesome. Budweiser heavy when I was probably six years old from my grandfather. <laughs> Starting him off young. Because <laughs> you <beat me. laughs> he was just, uh, here, you're not like, because I was like, I want to drink what grandpa's having. Hands it to me. Nope. <laughs> uh, McEwen's export, uh, a 4.5% 80 shilling. Scotland's beloved beer available everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like Scotland's like Budweiser or something? Or uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's brown and it had had more flavor, but yeah. <laughs> first beer you ever brewed? We did a brown ale or a pale ale. What was it, honey? Our first? Oh, a Hefeweizen, of course. I think we made a Hefeweizen. Okay. Yeah, just like a little homebrew kit. Uh, the first beer I ever brewed was uh, a clone of Dead Guy Ale. Oh, nice. I brewed, um, I think it was a Bass, Bass Ale uh, clone equivalent, yeah. Okay. From the homebrew shop, yeah. Cans or bottles? You know, cans, because they're rebellious, and craft beer <laughs> is about rebellion. Cans, it's better for beer. Uh, no light gets in, less oxygen, le- less chance of oxygen contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, you can drop it. They don't break. They're just, it's a better, more reliable, more recyclable vessel. I'm old fashioned. I, I go bottles. It's romantic. Favorite beer and food pairing? Uh, ice cream and coffee time. That sounds amazing. Together in the same glass. Does that count? Ice <laughs> oh, cream? absolutely. Is that food? Yes. <laughs> okay. I like to put our, um, sour barley wine mm. with, uh, incredibly like, like a sort of a bland fish. I sort of like have the. Okay. You know, diametrically opposite. It's Tuesday night. What are you drinking? There's so many good choices. Um, Tuesday night. I think I'm drinking better days. Depends on the Tuesday. <laughs> if I'm drinking on a Tuesday, it's probably something strong. So like my doubled over halfy cans. Nice. Well, I play darts on a Tuesday night. So I drink um, the 3.8% ordinary bitter <laughs> that we serve here because it, it 
it keeps me it keeps my my dart throwing swagger on but <laughs> i don't get wobbly on the you know hitting the spot right keeps you right in that that yeah. perfect range yeah. what is your beercation destination i think uh portland is i want to take alistair to, back to portland and do that we haven't i haven't really explored that area very much i do love the scene up in seattle but it was it would probably be the uk i loved uh fine ales in scotland that was the best beer i've ever had in my life nice (laughs) well i don't know it's just to say something different i think you know i have fond memories of denver Mm. because Mm -hmm. of the gabf um it's it's cool there's great breweries out there yeah yeah Yeah. it's where it's at favorite non-mcleod's beer this one is easy. It is Epic's um, Big Bad Big, Baptist. Oh, so Big good. Bad Baptist so good. is so good. If I have to pick a specific beer, uh, it's no longer made, depressingly. It was uh, Stone's original version of their Ruination. That, oh. that was my favorite beer. I can't really think, but I always, I always remember back to um, Alesmith's Nautical Nut mm. from our trip to, to San Diego way back in the early days. Nice. Yeah. And favorite non-beer hobby? Yeah. Well, I play bagpipes and I sing barbershop. Uh, cars. I like mm. to take my car to the racetrack. That's nice. something I do for fun. What do you have? Uh, Ford Focus ST. Okay. I think that would be uh, golf. Golf. A great escape from the my ordinary world. And it can still involve beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. Uh, darts? Darts, yeah. Darts. darts. Yeah. I darts, I guess. Darts and golf. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how you're feeling. Slightly over the darts because you know <laughs> you did it too a much. Lot, a lot of people take it too seriously, <laughs> like I've been saying for three years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the brew, the brew crew and myself are going to form a dart team for oh. the summer season, and we're gonna we're gonna show. David's word. All right, so January 25th is the big day. Come yeah. out for uh, some haggis and beer. Yeah, Scottish. We'll have Scottish ales going on. We'll have King's taxes and we'll have our our eighty shilling called the, the king's shilling okay and we will have uh whiskey aged beer we'll have a lot of uh, good stuff that scottish people will really enjoy nice uh mccloudale.com and at mccloudale and all the social medias 14741 calvert street in van nuys am i missing anything well I, i'd like you to make sure everybody knows that if if they own anything that is plaid they that you know like a kilt Right. Preferably. They, yeah. Even if it's not plaid, if it's like a modern interpretation of a kilt, a utility kilt, <laughs> any kind of like a man's skirt, yeah. they, they can put that on on the 25th okay. and, and sport that and, and, and not feel weird or self-conscious. <laughs> what about like not on the 25th? Yeah, yeah we're, we, we're perfectly comfortable. We, we actually have a kilt discount. So oh. if you come in here with a kilt, make sure you get your kilt discount Stop, Jenny, any day of the too year. Too many discounts oh, already. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that uh, one thing we're very focused on right now is we're opening a second location with food. Yes. Down the street. Thank you. McLeod Ale and Pie Emporium. British beer, savory pies. Uh, we're working hard on that. We're hoping to open first quarter. Our chef just got back from three weeks in Scotland making scotch pies every day. Um, he's, we're, you know, we're very focused on authenticity, but it's going to be elevated pub food. So it's going to be extraordinary. We're very excited. Where will that be? It's at six, two, five, two, four, two Van Nuys Boulevard. Sherman Oaks, scotch pies. You can Mm -hmm. have scotch eggs. 
scotch yep. eggs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we'll have Cornish pasties. We'll have sausage rolls. Um, oh, and man. on most Sundays, you can come here and preview that because the chef who's working with us comes on Sundays and has all of those things, pork pies, amazing stuff. goes great with our beer. Yeah. And he's doing, beer he's doing an amazing job. A vegetarian pie? Yeah. Yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> we also have two can releases happening uh, oh. middle of January. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be together. Uh, it's collaborations that we did with um, brewer from Partizan Brewing in London. Okay. Um, it's a rye and malted sunflower seed saison. Interesting. And a bourbon barrel smoked uh, Imperial Black IPA. Wow. That sounds phenomenal. Jennifer, Alistair, David, thank you guys so much for spending time and talking beer and drinking beer. And thank you guys, the listeners, for hanging out, for listening, for checking out the breweries that we go to and suggest. Uh, Make sure you guys grab your plaid and your kilts and head out to McLeod's for Scottish Day on Thursday, January 25th. Yes, it's a school night, but I think it'll be well worth it. Whiskey-aged beer. Does it get any better than that? Uh, There'll also be other beer releases as well as some authentic Scottish food. Also, keep an eye out for their new location that's going to have food as well. Uh, That'll be opening soon, hopefully. You can check them out at mcleodale.com. The spelling on McLeod is M-A-C-L-E-O-D-Ale.com, as well as McLeodale on all the social medias. Check out the brewery if you're in uh, the L.A. area, 14741 Calvert, that's C-A-L-V-E-R-T, Street in Van Nuys. And uh, tell them that you heard about them on the Unfiltered Gentleman. I think that'd be really cool. Go give David a high five for making such such good beer over there. Make sure you keep telling your friends about us, the Unfiltered Gentleman, and follow us on the social medias at the Unfiltered Gentleman, except for Twitter at Unfiltered Gents. And don't forget our phone number eight zero five five three eight beer. It's two three three seven. Leave a voicemail. Hey, get a little tipsy at Scottish Day over at McLeod's. Maybe you could leave us a voicemail. Maybe you got David standing next to you. You guys could both leave us a drunken voicemail. That'd be great. 805-538-BEER. And, of course, theunfilteredgentleman.com or theunfilteredgentleman.com slash listen is all the ways to listen to the podcast. I think that's it for us. We'll see you next week. Make sure you're out there staying hydrated. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.